Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Envío al área, al remate. Ahí está el primer tanto del partido. No lo celebra, por supuesto. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, that was that was a fun weekend. Yeah, great one. Mm. Lovely, enjoyed it. I like the FA Cup mm. for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's been especially kind to us, I suppose, of late. But a uh, really enjoyable game, and I thought, first half in particular, we were excellent. I thought we were excellent too. So that does it for this week's Arscast Extra. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday. No, it was, it, was, um, it was interesting, wasn't it, to see some of the reaction before the game kicked off. Because mm. the, the lineup that the manager chose was obviously hugely attacking. And I noticed when I posted up the, the teams and, and things like that, that people were... There was a, a touch of trepidation about the approach, which seemed to be, fuck it. Let's stick as many forwards as we can on the pitch and just have a good laugh. Yeah. I mean, I was a little bit surprised by the how quite how attacking it was. I was surprised Alexis Sanchez started for one. I thought, you know, given that he'd had this slight knock to the knee, that any doubt at all would have seen him Perhaps even if there was no doubt, I just thought he might get a rest. But yeah. as, it, as it transpired, they went with him and he seemed perfectly healthy. Wasn't there that great, that great quote from, from Arsene Wenger after the game um, mm. where, where he says, he's asked if, if Alexis puts pressure on him to play and he says he always wants to play. Everybody's like that, but he's a bit more like that. Yeah, I wonder what form that takes exactly. Do you know what I mean? I wonder what I'd love to see those conversations played out between him and Austin Bengo turning up at the door, threatening him. You know that scene in The Simpsons? There's an episode of The Simpsons where this guy, it could be the Sideshow Bob episode, where Sideshow Bob comes to town and uh, I think that Homer hires some guy to, you know, make Sideshow Bob go away and he says to him, uh, you know, uh, I can be real persuasive. And he's just there beside him and go, come on, leave town, come on, come on. So I, I think Alexis is going to be like that. He's yeah. like, come, come on. Let's just yeah. look. And he just give you, the, give you those eyes. Just Puppyish enthusiasm, puppy yeah. dog eyes. Yeah. The whole, the whole, but nothing's more persuasive than a puppy. No, that's very true. But uh, anyway, I, yeah, so I could see why there was maybe a little bit of concern. I mean, a, a lot of it probably centers around Santi Cazorla in that deeper role, doesn't it? Mm-hmm people wondering about how secure we are with him there alongside none other than Mathieu Flamini, whose presence in the team sheet always causes some consternation and concern among the Arsenal fans at it, present. Is that Maybe a little unfairly. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think he's the world's greatest player, but I don't think he's... For, for some people, there seems to be this thing with him that it's like, oh, well, playing with Flamini, we're fucked now. Um, yeah. It do, does seem a little bit unfair. I thought he was pretty good yesterday. Well, he didn't have a huge okay. amount to do. But. I mean, that's it. That's it. I mean, what was interesting on the sidelines was that Arsene Wenger was sort of quite a few times in the first half came out and talked to Flamini. He was actually not losing his rag, but quite annoyed with him about certain positional things. But I think he did what he always does. He was committed in the challenge. Uh, he was decent in the air. He played. It was a wholehearted performance. I don't think it was enough to, you know, put him back into first team contention, but it wasn't a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess. Well, look, any any concerns that anyone had were assuaged, I guess, within those those two minutes around the half hour mark. Mm. Uh, the two goals were were really very good. Uh, I, I hadn't realised that all eleven players thing 
um, until this morning when I was just sort of uh, writing the blog and mm. checking out some some Twitter goodness. Um, and that's nice. Just a, a really kind of cool thing to happen that uh, we got we got everybody involved in the goal. And, you know, I think that the, the culmination of the move was the kind of football that people have come to expect and not seen perhaps enough of from Arsenal over the, over the years. No, and it was a fantastic goal. I mean, you know, w- watching it in full speed, I noticed that all the front players were involved. But once you go back and you see that it starts right from the goalkeeper through the centre-halves, it's just one of those sort of things you can treasure, really, as a fan and, and, and watch again and again. And it was brilliantly worked, particularly in the final third. The pass from Cazorla to find Gibbs uh, was outstanding. But even before that, there was some really nice play from Alexis dribbling in field. And uh, it's that near post run from Giroud, which is so, so profitable for him. He he makes it so frequently and you wonder why more strikers don't do it. Uh, They were warned in that case, weren't they, in terms of the second goal? (laughs) Because uh, I I think the goal obviously shook them up a bit, even though they they can't have been surprised that it went in. But nevertheless, they seemed a little bit rattled by it because when the corner came in, I wonder was that a deliberate thing from Arsenal? Because if you look at it, there isn't anybody in there. There are no Arsenal players in around the six-yard box, so there's this huge space for Giroud to run into. Like all the Arsenal players are on the edge of the box, more or less. So I, I wonder, was there something, was it just that's how we set up and how we prepare for a corner to come in or whether, you know, that's something we, I dare I say, that we might have worked on a set piece on the training ground? Well, after the game, Arsene said uh, the first goal, he described the first goal as being what we work on. He was like, that's sort of what we do in training every right. day uh, and that's, you know, the basis of our football. The second one is about, it, it, he said it shows that the the game also belongs to the players is how he puts it mm. in, in the moment they can you know have a, a moment of inspiration or quick thinking and that can also influence the outcome I think yeah. it, that's exactly what it was it, it happened very fast corner was awarded Alexis he had the the alertness of mind to see Giroud's run he, who had the alertness of mind to make it and it was a fantastic finish as well I didn't actually realise it happened so quick I didn't realise quite what a good finish it was yeah but yeah he takes it so brilliantly and uh, yeah he's he's flying at the moment I think mm. he's got 10 goals and 12 starts something like that and I, I think he's he's doing terrifically well this season he's answered a lot of the criticisms that were levelled at him last year yeah I, I agree with that I mean does that goal make up for all the corners that we hit into the near post <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the worry is obviously now we've done that trick once we probably won't get away with it again yeah. people will be on the lookout for it but it was a uh, yeah, a nice one to get. And typical that although we did score from a corner, it was in such an unconventional manner. Some really uh, interesting performances yesterday. Santi Cazorla outstanding in that midfield area that w- we've spoken about. And I'm, I'm sure there are questions about this, but uh, we, we can touch on them maybe a bit later. But just in general terms, Cazorla is playing probably the best football of his Arsenal career. I mean, the the, the first season he came... And maybe it's because there was more of a burden on him to produce as a goal scorer. Mm. He he was he was more uh, involved at that end of the pitch, whereby he was getting goals. I think he had twelve or thirteen in his first season. Uh, the goals that he's got this season have, I think, all come from the from the penalty spot. But in terms of his all round play, he's just absolutely fabulous to watch at this moment in time. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, there's a more entertaining player to watch in the Premier League it's something about his dribbling style you know he's got that low centre of gravity tiny little feet the way he weaves away from people mm-hmm. it's uh, it's brilliant to watch and I agree I think this is the best he's played he's not necessarily contributing as much in terms of goals but you know in, I think in that first season he played a more advanced role he played as the kind of number 10 he's been playing there on and off this season but not full time mm. And uh, he's just been absolutely superb. I did think it was really interesting to see him playing that deeper role. And he has done that before. When Thomas rodzicki has been in the side, he's actually often been the more advanced of the two, with Kozola filling in a little bit behind. He, uh, he's The thing is, he's such a small guy, but he's he's got that ability to get away from people. And even in the most congested areas of the field, he gets away with it because of his extraordinary level of skill. I thought he was... Fantastic, and I sort of closely followed by Meza Erzl, who had an excellent game as well. Yeah, 
That was, I think, what we've been looking for from Ozil for, for quite a long time. Now, the, you can qualify it, I guess, by saying the uh, the opposition wasn't as testing as, as certain teams that will play. But when you consider that he's not long back from injury, it, it does look as if that layoff has given him maybe the rest he needed after the World Cup, maybe some time to work on his physique. Um, you know, he's really becoming an influence now, both uh, with the goals that he's scoring and the the passing ability that he has, which is married with players that we have who suit that. Because there were a couple of times, I don't know if you noticed it, but a couple of times where he played balls into Giroud, into, into the box. And the one thing that you'd say about Giroud is that he doesn't have a great deal of pace. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. Uh, and Ozil was visibly frustrated that those passes didn't come off. I don't know whether he was just frustrated in general or whether he was frustrated with Giroud because he doesn't have the ability to move as quickly as, as he might like. But when you've got Alexis in the team, when you've got Walcott in the team, when you've got Welbeck in the team, you've got the pace that can make Ozil more effective, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's the big difference, I think, between this season and last, is that, you know, last season, Giroud was the only target Ozil had, really, for long periods. Uh, whereas now, you're right, he hasn't got the pace to get onto those passes, but there are plenty of other people who do. And I think Giroud is looking better as a consequence, you know. I think that it all it all feeds into each other. As for Ozil, you know, I'm not sure... Since he's come back into the side, I think he's been really, really good. And I'm not sure he's had a more consistent run of performances in his whole time at Arsenal. Mm. I know he had major impact when he first came in. But in terms of performance level from game to game, over the last half dozen matches or so, I think he's been outstanding. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, is there one thing that you put it down to? Or do you think it's a combination of factors? I think it's a combination, really. I think after the World Cup, he didn't get enough rest. I think that's true of a number of players. They didn't get quite enough rest. Perhaps the the injury was a consequence of that. I think, you know, when you look back at the first half of our season, now with maybe a bit of hindsight, you know, the the issues that we had and the inability to make the best of games or more of games, and you think of some of the games that we drew, you know, mm-hmm. um, are... are are down to the fact that the squad wasn't physically uh, in as good a shape as it should have been. And that, I think, is a consequence of the World Cup, uh, a shortened preseason, uh, certain issues with certain players, obviously. You know, I don't want to go on about the, the, the lack of a defender, but, you know, I think that obviously had an impact on the central defence, which then, of course, had an impact on the back four. The back four was makeshift quite a lot of the time. I think that had an impact on the goalkeeper. I think the team struggled to find balance, and I think now that we've got a more balanced side with a proper functioning back four, with a, a more um, disciplined central midfield that we've had to work out, despite the fact we've had plenty of injuries in there, the team is more effective. And you've got players like Giroud who've come back, Walcott has come back, Ozil has come back, who are physically perhaps a bit sharper than other players in the league at this time of the season because they have had a spell on the sidelines so they're not knackered so mm. that could be that could be a big part of it I do think it's a combination of things and I think Ozil coming back in with players uh, around him I mean I, I thought some of the link up play with Alexis yesterday was fantastic and I think that's a, an Alexis who was at 70-80% maybe that wasn't yeah. 100% fit Alexis, but what I liked was the fact that the two of them were very very much on the same wavelength for most of that game that the little layoffs, the little tiny passes um, that, that Ozil in particular is brilliant at, these little outside of the boot dinks just three or four feet just to keep the ball. Um, I think that's really, really promising, that, that yeah. combination. Absolutely. I mean, there's a great photo doing the rounds from yesterday. I, thought, I think you tweeted it earlier, which is uh, Cazorla, Ozil and... Sanchez, you know, all, all stood together in their Arsenal kits. It's quite an amazing concentration of quality that we've got in this team at the present. Yeah, uh, w- you know, I think there are there have been problems this season. It's been difficult. The first half of the campaign was very problematic, but at the same time, we're, we're very fortunate to be watching players of this caliber playing. So, you know, and, and I do feel like 
for whatever reason, the second half of the season is setting up to be a lot more enjoyable and, and promising. And, you know, Ozil's form is a big part of that. Yeah, I agree. We've got the draw for the FA Cup later on this evening, so we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Mm. Um, I suppose we should touch on the new boy, Gabriel. He had a, he had a r- pretty decent debut. Yeah, I you know, so. again, the defence wasn't called into a great deal of action. I enjoyed his yellow card. I have to say, that was a yeah classic sort of South American piece of defending, bit of cynicism there. But yeah, that's what you want to see, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, there's um, there's a need to do that and to do it in the right areas. Um, you know, maybe maybe after a couple of bad performances, if he takes a yellow card like that, people will say, oh God, you know, that's just terrible defending. He's clumsy, he's this, that, and the other. So I think there's a, a touch of context required to it. But I liked it simply because, you know, it was his debut. He had a split second to make a decision. Does he let this guy run past him and risk something else? Or does he just take him out? And, you know, he just took him out. And, I, you know, as a, uh, a fairly uncultured defender, I, 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 can, I can get with that, you know. But I think as well what's encouraging is that having picked up that booking, he went on to make a, a really excellent tackle in his own penalty area. Yeah. You know, he, didn't, he didn't let that uh, inhibit him too much, which I think you know, shows that he, he knows what he's doing. I mean, as you say, he wasn't hugely tested, but the thing you can say most of all is that he looked like a centre-half. Uh, he looked like someone who's comfortable in that position, who knows what he's doing, and you wouldn't have too much hesitation about having to bring him in for a Premier League game now. So I think it was a very useful exercise for him to get that 90 minutes under his belt. Yeah, and Arsene Wenger saying that he was you know, playing with a handbrake on in terms of mm. the way he was using the ball. He said he can use the ball a lot better than that. Uh, but obviously on his debut, he wanted to make sure that he played it pretty safe. So well, that's understandable too. The fullbacks were interesting because I think Gibbs and Chambers were both very, very good. Um, and that, I think, is a consequence of the competition that they're facing to get back in the team with Bellerin uh, right back now until such time as, well, Debussy gets back. Then it's going to be really interesting. Um, but Bellerin, obviously, is going to get the nod, I think, in the league games. Chambers came in, responded. He's had a little dip in form himself. He came in and, and did very well. Kieran Gibbs, he knows that Nacho Monreal is now the first-choice left-back for the, for the moment. It's his position to lose. So he came in, I thought, was very good as well. Yeah, really good. I particularly thought Gibbs was good, actually, I have to say, going forward. That athleticism that we're accustomed to seeing from him and just you know, he gives, he offers you so much in terms of his sheer stamina getting to the byline. He got the assist for the first goal as well. So really encouraging signs. I think that that competitive, uh, well, competition for places exists all throughout the squad at present. You know, Arsene Mega said off the game, we've got two good players in every position. And while there are some areas of the squad where there's more doubt than others. This is now a very deep squad, one full of quality. And mm. the, the exciting thing about that, I mean, we touched on Giroud's improvement and, you know, in part that's probably due to the challenge that he's had from Danny Welbeck and other players in the squad. I mm. think that it's a really healthy thing. Gibbs played as well as he has for quite a long time yesterday. And I, I don't believe that's any coincidence at all. Wojciech Szczesny? Hmm. Remember him? Yeah, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, had almost nothing to do, didn't he, in the game? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. But then David Ospina's had a lot of good, a lot of games like that in recent weeks, and come out with it with a fair amount of credit, you know. So when a, when a defensive unit doesn't give up a huge amount of chances, I think every member of that unit deserves some credit, and Chesney's part of that. Yeah. Uh, quite good with the ball at his feet. I think I remember one pass out to out to Gibbs. I think not long before we scored the first goal uh, was was a good indication of perhaps a, a bit more concentration from him. So who do you want in the who do you want in the quarterfinals? Do you want to get rid of one of the big guys? Do you want to face Manchester United or Liverpool, or would you fancy going to Bradford to play on that <laughs> that stellar pitch that they have up there, which doesn't at all look like uh, no man's land from World War One? No, and we had such a such a great time there last time, of course. Mm. Um, no, I wouldn't mind playing Bradford, but only at the Emirates, I think, <laughs> <laughs> for a variety of reasons. They're very, very welcome to come to the Emirates. Uh, yeah, I think. But I, what I well, what I want really, because assuming Manchester United go through this evening, which they're obviously favourites to do, a United-Liverpool draw uh-huh. would be excellent. Yeah. Um, 
who would I want? Yeah, Bradford at home, I think, would be good. You know, get a bit of revenge on them, exact some revenge. They're, it's a, an intriguing cup tie against someone who's, you know, knocked out a couple of people along the way. But I think at the Emirates, we'd have a, enough to overcome them and exercise some ghosts. So I'd go for that, really. What about you? Um, yeah, I don't really care at this point, I have to say. Home um, draw, though? Yeah, home draw, please. I mean, look. It's nice to to go away and do things, but I think you know the fact that we had a series of home draws last season uh, benefited us. Uh, to be perfectly honest, mm. uh, who else is in the draw? There's Reading, there's Liverpool, there's Blackburn, who hammered Stoke, yeah, four-one. Uh, West Brom, who hammered West Ham, um, and I can't remember if there was a game on the on the Friday night. Was there in the FA Cup? I don't I'm think sure so this time. This so, uh, so yeah, it's down. It's Manchester United and is it, who are they playing? Preston? Preston. Right. Yeah. Come on, Preston. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd that be would good. Be, that would be good. I mean, it's it's sort of, it's quite exciting, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're one game from Wembley now, you know, the, those Wembley semi-finals. Yeah, but um, Wembley semi-finals are... Poo. Oh, look, we all know they're bullshit. But nevertheless, I think having done what we did last year to be relatively close to getting back to another final is very very exciting indeed and and you know it, I think someone asked actually I can't remember who asked but someone said would you rather wait and face the big teams in the final oh it was Guna at Gunza 1985 said, would you rather face one of the big teams next or face them in the final do you think it makes any difference got any preference there I'd rather not face them at all that's, well, that is that's very my possible. thinking that's you know I think the easier it is to go and win something the better Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be my thinking. I would rather, I don't know what I would rather. You, you know, you just take it as it comes when, it, when, it, when it's cup football. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really rather anything. But I would rather, for example, that Preston beat Manchester United. I'd rather Bradford drew Liverpool in the next round and uh, beat them. And I'd rather somebody like West Brom beat Bradford and then we could play West Brom in the final or somebody like that, you know, or Reading. That would be my ideal situation. You know, all this thing about the glory of, of, you know, winning big games on the way to the Cup, great. But, I mean, last season we beat Everton, we beat Liverpool, we beat Spurs on the way there and had two what you would call relatively easy fixtures in the semi-final and final and that was hard work. So there's no guarantee that just playing smaller teams um, will be easy, but I would rather do that than, <laughs> than the others. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the draw brings us. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're back with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. And this is the time where we answer your questions sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Thank you indeed for all the questions that you send. Uh, we can't get to all of them, but we do read them. And sometimes we chat about them all fair. So, you, you know, if you feel your ears burning, that's, that's James <laughs> saying things. Answering the questions. Answering them, yeah. I mean, we, we go on for hours. We can only yeah. have so much podcast, but for you know, we go on for hours just talking. This this sounds like a free form conversation, but it's actually carefully edited highlights mm. of a, a very dull exchange. <laughs> it's been scripted since last week. Yeah. Run through, you know, we've done rehearsals, the whole lot. It's good. Lot. You've remembered all your lines this time. Yeah, so I know progress. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm happy good. with that. Even those bits where I sound like I don't quite know what I'm going to say next. Uh, it's that's really, just, that's good. It's that's just acting. Yeah, proper acting. Proper acting. Mm. All right. The first question this week comes from Jane Cavendish at jcav90. And she wants to know, does Wenger want to play a high defensive line now that we have a quick back four again, uh, in brackets, without Vermalen? Mm. Mm. What's well, so the quick back four, I guess, would be kind of Bellerin or Debussy, Gibbs or Monreal, and then Gabriel and Koscielny. I guess so. Huh. I don't know. Uh, the reason I say that is because I still think that Per Mertzak is a big part of Arsene Wenger's plans in the sort of medium term, at least. Um, by that, I mean certainly until the end of this season. I don't think Gabriel's going to be pushing for a, a regular, regular place mm. until until next season rolls around. Um, 
Maybe. I mean, he tried it with Vermal and Koscielny. More often than not, it was a bit of a disaster, as far as I recall. Uh, there were a few occasions where, you know, Vermaelen would would charge a little bit too high, and we'd get caught in behind. That that game at Spurs in March of 2013 springs to mind with Gareth Bale getting in behind on a couple of occasions. Mm. I I'm not sure because if you think about the way we played at Manchester City, which I think is the sort of biggest indicator of progress that there's been from an Arsenal side in recent months. That wasn't contingent on a high line. That was contingent on defending relatively deep with protection in front of the back four. And I think that's more likely to be the model going forward. Um, although I think it's an interesting question and, and the arrival of Gabriel gives you that option, which is not something that with just Mertesacker there you, you necessarily have. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I was kind of surprised that it was Koscielny who started yesterday and not Mertesacker, but, uh, you know... Yeah. I wonder if um, I wonder if it was to do with that kind of left side. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The right side thing, simply because... For Villarreal, Gabriel predominantly played to the right of the two centre backs, but he also played left back. You know, well, so he's, a, yeah. he's comfortable at that side of the pitch. You know, I, I think we discussed it, didn't we? Where we we talked about him wanting a defender who could play with both, um, yeah. and what we saw probably is that Gabriel is a bit more Koscielny esque than he is Mertesacker esque. Mm. Um, so if he can play with Koscielny, it means he'll probably complement Mertesacker as well. Uh, so maybe that's what that, that experiment was. I mean, I think the other thing about playing a high line, a high defense, is that you've got to win the ball back high up the pitch for that to be effective. Um, True. And what one of the big weaknesses that we saw this season was uh, when we tried to win the ball back high up the pitch, even fairly average teams like Swansea were able to take advantage of that by a simple one-two pass and you're in behind six Arsenal players and your your defense is left exposed. So... I do wonder if perhaps the, there's a penny has dropped in the sense that defending deeper and not getting caught out ahead of the ball is the way that we're going to go from from now on. You know, I think maybe for certain games you're gonna you're naturally going to push higher, but I, I don't think we're going to see the the sort of tactics employed at the start of the season or in the early part of the season where you had a lot of Arsenal players pressing to get forward. And just being bypassed. I thought it was quite amusing late on. I think Flamini went on a charge and ended up closing down the goalkeeper at one stage. Mm. Um, when there was absolutely no reason whatsoever to do that. And I'm always reminded of the article that he did earlier in the season where he's going, it's really important for us to win the ball high up the pitch. And then he didn't win the ball high up the pitch ever. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case. But obviously, if you've got a quick back four, then it allows you a little more leeway to to consider that should you need to change things in game, perhaps. Yeah, that's certainly true. I think I think it's something that Wenger's shown a predilection for in the past, and I, I can see him maybe going more that way. But I don't think it would be till till next season when Gabriel will be playing mm. more regularly potentially. Um, cool. Another question. Why not? Okay, this one comes from Mike Cotter who is at mcotter314 on mm-hmm. Twitter. And he asks, can a midfield of Coquelin, Cazorla and Ozil work in the long term? 
Um, I would say that for certain games it can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe not for the biggest opposition. I still think you need a more traditional central midfielder in there. Somebody to play a little bit closer. I mean, I think what Cazorla does is amazing. And, I, I you know... I, I love watching him, but I do think there are going to be times where his lack of physicality could be exposed. I mean, you'd look at Manchester City perhaps as a game where that might happen, you know, sure. uh, against the Fernando, Fernandinho, Fernandetta, Fernandorama, and all those. But he he coped with that admirably. But you know, I think I think it's certainly an option for 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 games because it it has a nice combination of aggressive defensive midfield play Cazorla's creativity and ability to keep the keep the ball in tight situations and Ozil's just languid brilliance when he when he's in the mood you know but I think I think what's interesting is the, the amount of options that we have and I think every week right um we get a we get a question so what is our best 11 or how yeah. do we how what do team we, would you pick for the Champions League final or yeah, whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. And, and we get that every every single week. And what I like is that it's not possible to answer that question because I think it's entirely dependent on who we're playing, where we're playing, um, obviously who's fit and who's available. But, you know, with everybody fit, you can tailor your your selection to the opposition, which is not necessarily something Arsene Wenger has always done. We know that he's, he prefers to send his teams out to, you know, to play the way he wants them to play. But I think in recent times, we've seen a bit more willingness for him to, to do that. So, yeah, for certain games, I think that's that's a really tasty midfield combination. For others, I think you want a player like, you want a player like Ramsey, you want a player like Wilshire perhaps in there. Even Arteta, when he comes back, there are certain games where you could say, if you just put Coquelin slightly ahead of Arteta or Coquelin and Arteta beside each other, where we could keep the ball and, and be calm in possession, maybe that would be a good combination at times too. So, yeah, it's it's very fluid. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, Cazorla deep alongside Coquelin worked against Manchester City, but you've got to remember in front of them they had Tomasz Rosicki, who perhaps has more of a natural sort of willingness and aptitude to drop back in and help than Mesut Ozil does. Mm. So... I think it, I think it can work as a three. I think it did, you know. Well, Coquelin didn't play, but if mm. you substitute Coquelin in for Flamini against Middlesbrough, and I think in home games against certain opposition, it's a really it's it's really fun basically. Yeah, yeah. Because it enables you to get a bunch of attacking players in the side, as we discussed. Yeah. But there will be times where uh, where it's not necessarily, and you want someone like a Ramsey who's got that bit more bit more physical presence. Really, yeah, a bit of power. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's a question from John Redmond, which is mm-hmm. at JR Shot Who. And he wants to know what does Yuru need to add to his game to become world class? Ah, that's a good question. World class. I mean, I never really know what world class means, if I'm honest. Um, it's an arbitrary term. Right. <laughs> used to categorize players who do good things. Well, look. He does a lot of good things, and I do think that we're in a we're approaching a, a position where he is he's probably somewhat underrated. I'd say in the kind of the wider media and amongst fans, because there aren't many people who do what he does better than him. Mm. And I mean that in terms of being, I, I, I want to say pure target man, but in some ways that does him a disservice because he does so much more than that. That sort of implies, you know, you say that and you think of kind of, I don't know, brute force. And he's about much more than that. He's got wonderful first touch, great awareness. He might not be the quickest over the ground, but he's one of the quickest thinkers that you'll see playing in that centre-forward role. And I think this season he's come on leaps and bounds. And if you look at his career, he's a relatively late not a late starter, but he's progressed. A late bloomer, you might late say. Late bloomer, that's exactly it, yeah. You know, not too long ago, he was in the second tier of French football. And I think that he can actually get better. What does he need to get better at? I think, for me, 
it would probably just be there's the odd game where you feel like he could make more of his physical presence. Mm. There are there are games here and there where you feel that he is bullied a little bit more easier, a little bit too easily, given how powerful he is. Um, but, you know, what would my complaints about Giroud have been? Well, that he didn't score enough against the big teams. I think he's answered that this season. He scored against Manchester City, a couple of others that, that escaped my memory. Uh, in terms of he, him not being prolific enough, I think he's answering that too. He's on a fantastic run of goal scoring form. So he's really done everything that you could ask of him. That would be the one area of his game that maybe I'd like to see a, a little bit more improvement. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be world-class if you're defining world-class as like a Messi or a, 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 a Ronaldo, right? I guess mm-hmm. that's where the bar is there. Um but yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always liked uh, what he did. I just think he could do it more often and do it better at times. I think yesterday there was uh, some examples of what he's really good at, and that's his penalty box play. I think he's quite underrated there. You know, the amount of goals that he scores from close range. Um, you know, that run to the near post that you mentioned. The awareness for the for the second goal was fantastic. And then I think we saw a couple of times where the lack of subtlety in his play, uh, in his passing at times. Uh, you know, some of the first-time flicks and, and things that he does are, are fantastic. But maybe if you put him in a position where he's asked to make a pass that Cazorla could make or uh, an Ozil would make with their eyes closed, he, mm. he falls down a little bit. There was one for Welbeck that he just overhit, tried to do it with the outside of his foot, a touch of the Rosicki. And then there was one where he took a shot from probably 30 yards and all he had to do was just, with the same action, in the same trajectory, just put a pass into Welbeck's path. And I think that perhaps is um, is something that he could improve. Again, physically, he could be a bit stronger at times, but I think we've seen him much less um moany than he used to be you know if he got battered around by center halves he'd sit in his arse and he would get up and complain and and what have you and there was one of the recent games i can't remember what it was uh where uh, he just got on with it and was much more effective for that so you know i think he's a, he's a really very very good player very good striker um i know he's not going to convince everyone if you're looking for Olivier Giroud to be Thierry Henry Mark II, you're always going to be disappointed if that's the benchmark. Yeah. But if you look at what he does for us and the amount of goals that he scores and the amount of goals that he has scored this season considering he spent three months out, I think he's very impressive. Yeah, certainly. You know, if he scored at this rate all season long, and I know that's a considerable if, he'd be on course for a 30-goal season. Mm. And uh, I think the other thing about him is you've got to think what what does his presence in the side bring out in others as well? Do you mm. know, does he does he help guys like Alexis, guys like Erzul by by being there to play off? And I do think that's a factor. Yeah, so. but I mean, is is that not a really good thing for this club to be able to have? That last year we talked about how we had one striker, that was Giroud. That was yeah. the that was the extent of our attacking lineup for a long part of the season because Walcott was injured, Sonogo learning his trade, um, Podolski. You know, he, he could never play centre-forward. And it was interesting. Arsene Wenger was asked about Welbeck, I think, yesterday and said he's really happy with him and, and what he does. But Giroud is the, the only player in the squad who can only play at centre-forward while mm-hmm. you have other players who can uh, play left and right. But I think it's just fantastic to have the range of attacking options that we have. You know, pace of Walcott, finishing of Walcott, Alexis, pace, skill, intensity. He can play as as a striker, as a false nine. He can play off a striker. Welbeck, um, who has some of the qualities of Giroud in terms of his his centre-forward play, but can also play left or right now. Uh, Giroud, who does what he does. You've got Cazorla, you've got uh, uh, Ozil in behind them. It's really very, very interesting to see where this team can go with those players. Yeah. It's a wealth of talent. I mean, this didn't he haven't even mentioned. I don't think Alex Oxley Chamberlain there who can play left or right as well. Yeah, of so course. Once he comes back, I mean, the the amount of depth is amazing. And you know, Theo Walcott said fairly recently that 
this is the strongest stacking lineup Arsenal have had, I think, since the Invincibles, and very, very difficult to disagree with that. Mm. All right, another question. Well, we touched on Danny Welbeck there. We've got, we've got a question here. This is from Zach Harris, mm-hmm. uh, and he asks. He says, well, he says after excluding his Champions League hat trick game. Welbeck has four goals and one assist in 21 appearances. Should we be concerned? I don't think concerned is the right word. I think he could do more. But again, I think it comes back to depth in the squad. Mm. That you're going to have players who contribute to, to varying degrees. And I think, you know, Welbeck is... I, we touched on this, didn't we, last week or the week before? I think he played through an injury for quite a while because Giroud was out, because um, Alexis was needed wide, Ozil was out, Walcott was out. Uh, and I don't think it was a surprise that, that the minute those guys were back, Welbeck was suddenly injured, so to speak. So they they, uh, they gave him a chance to rest. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, again, it's what you expect from a player. What do you want from him? 25 goals a season? I don't think you're going to get that from Danny Welbeck. Not yet, anyway. Uh, there's still time for him to develop. He's, what, 24? Yeah, 24, I think. So there's there's time for him to develop as a forward. I think what you're looking for from him is to make an overall contribution. Again, I think we have to uh, look at the fact that he's not playing in his favorite position. He does want to play as a striker, and um, maybe it's telling that he scored most of his goals as a striker when he was given mm-hmm. the chance there when Giroud was out. But look, this is the challenge he faces, that when Giroud is playing the way he's playing and is as important to the team as he is, Welbeck is going to have to make a contribution from different areas of the pitch. And I thought he was a bit unlucky yesterday. as I touched on those two chances or, or positions that he got himself into and, you know, the final ball wasn't, wasn't quite there. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd much rather a squad with him in it than without. He's kind of like the anti-Walcott, isn't it? You know, he offers you great sort of team play, hard work, not so much end products, whereas yeah. Walcott's sort of all end products, but doesn't really do anything for yeah. long I was thinking of anti-Walcott there, like sitting on her porch, knitting a jumper. <laughs> <laughs> this is my anti-Walcott. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very possibly. But uh, yes, I mean, the thing is, and you touched on this before, but that leads to people sort of, asking for a choice between the two but the position we're in is one where Arsene Wenger doesn't have to make a choice he can make a choice week to week but that's great you know he's he's very fortunate to be in a situation where he has the luxury of that choice and there'll be games where Welbeck's more appropriate and games where Walcott's more appropriate Mm. that'd be interesting uh, interesting one to see how that one plays out Mm. have you got one more? I think so All right. um I thought it was your turn. You've, 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 oh, was it? You've oh, was it? There. All right, okay. Yeah. Oh, it's my turn. Have you got turn. one more? Or? I don't know if I have. Um, oh, well, I, look, go I'll, on. I'll give you one anyway, shall okay. I? Yeah, you I give a question. <laughs> I'll, do, question I'll, I'll ask you. you a question. Yes. Uh, which one should we do? Let's have this one. This is Super Arse 710. Uh, and he asks, would you keep Gibbs in the side for Palace away after the quality display against Borough? No. Emphatic. No. I think Monreal has has done enough to keep his place. I mean, it's a, the question is, do you bring Chesney back for Ospina based on yesterday? I don't think he can. I mean, I, I would, simply yeah. because I think Chesney's a better player. But look, if you're looking at it from a, a, a merit point of view, I'm sure there's a word there. A meritocratical, meritocratic, I don't know, but um, you know, if you're looking at it from that point of view, Monreal has played brilliantly. He's played really, really well, and Gibbs has responded to that challenge. And what that means is that Monreal has to maintain that level of performance going forward, right? Mm. So, um, if you immediately put Gibbs back in after after one good game. Monreal's going to be all like, well, what the fuck do I have to do to keep my place? You know, you're giving it straight back to him. It's not a question of, for example, um, some changes are just blindingly obvious, aren't they? That if uh, Akpom came in and had a great game because Alexis was unfit, would you keep Alexis out just because Akpom had one good game? No. No. This isn't quite the same, but I think 
to get the benefit of the competition that we have in the squad, you have to maintain uh, the, the, the team selection based on who's been playing the best. And I think Bellerin, for example, will keep his place at right back. And I think Monreal should keep his place at left back. Uh, I think Mertesacker will come back in for Gabriel. I think Ospina will come back in for, for Chesney, Coquelin for Flamini. But it's no harm having these guys coming in and playing well because the other guys know they've got to stay on their toes to keep their place. I think we've got to let Monreal keep his place, partly because of the revelation that all the Arsenal players have nicknamed him Crouchy. Yeah, it's made, made me feel so sorry for him that I think Poor Nacho. got to let him play. Poor old Nacho. You know, when, when they said, oh, the, our headline on Arsenal.com was like, find out what all the Arsenal players have nicknamed Nacho Monreal. I thought it's going to be Nacho-themed, isn't it? It's going to be yeah. a derivative of some sort of snack. But Crouchy, I mean, that's cruel. Although the resemblance... Is certainly there. I, I would have I would call him Nacho Man Randy Savage because <laughs> that would be awesome. And that then, would be awesome, and yeah. that would do more for his confidence. I it suspect. certainly would because I would like to see Nacho Man Real grow a Macho Man Randy Savage beard. Mm. That would be pretty awesome. Wear those shades. Did he have like a bandana on the top I of his head? So yeah, I think he did. And then he could come out, you know, and and do interviews for Arsenal player going. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. If Instead of being just like a, a like a slightly smaller Peter Crouch. That's, <laughs> yeah. all, that's really unfortunate. That is, because you don't even have the sort of, you know, at least Peter Crouch, he's kind of special, isn't he? Because he's so tall. He's got that to escape from his face. Timmer. <laughs> that naturally not so fortunate. But you mentioned Bellerin. Do you think, um, how preposterous is this that I'm now trying to be serious about football? Yeah, please. Uh, no, but I was going to say, do you think that part of Monreal's regular inclusion of the side is that, do you think it's it's relative to Bellerin in some way? Do you think he sees Monreal and Bellerin as a, a pair and Gibbs and, I don't know, Chambers potentially as a pair because one's more attacking than the other kind of thing? I don't know. That's a good question. I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah. Um, I just wonder, because Bellerin's so attacking, does Monreal give better balance? You know, if you had... Could you afford to have Bellerin and Gibbs in the same side? Good question. I mean, I think you've got to be able to do that, though. I don't think you can you can bank on one or the other, you know, having those two combinations, that if, for example, Gibbs is out and you have to play Monreal at left-back, then you've got to play Bellerin at right-back. Got to change everything. Got to yeah. change everything. No, I think, um, I think you probably could draw out some statistics or something like that, but I, I don't think that necessarily that would be... Uh, in the manager's thinking, you know? Just so. a thought. Yeah, no, Just no, no. Thought. I mean, look, no harm tossing around ideas. <laughs> Spitball. We're spitballing, guys. You're, you've uh, gone some strange places in this podcast, man. First you're <laughs> going to give me one. Now we're, now we're spitballing. That's uh, teabagging next? Are you going to teabag yeah, me knows? or something? I don't know. Uh, How long have we got? I don't think we've got time. No. Thankfully. Thankfully we don't. I'll let you go. Yeah. We should do that. We don't uh, have any more questions. Either I have got one about Zlatan Ibrahimovic being an insufferable prick, but I'm not sure I see the relevance of it. No, it's all from, the, from I Liam mean, Liam Tullet Tullet Tullet, and we all know the answer. To be honest, yeah. Anyway, so there's, there's no no point in me even mentioning it. Um, but of course, this was in the script that we wrote last week. So we have yeah. To. What the the most impressive thing about the script is that we're able to predict all the questions that people will send in. Yeah. It's like or, we know them. Well, they. I mean, they're, they're I mean obviously, we wouldn't say this on air, but they're actors, aren't they? They're yeah. all actors. Everyone. The whole thing is just, just part of a big play, man. All the world's a podcast. <laughs> and on that note, uh, we'll leave it there. I'll chat to you on the Arscast on Friday. We'll have an Arscast Extra on Monday after the... Who are we playing at the weekend? Palace. Palace. Crystal Palace away. The, 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 one of the nicest names for a football team. Yeah, it's just a shame about the manager and most of the players. That's a good one. Yeah, if you could like name your football club something, Crystal Palace sounds sounds beautiful, doesn't it? It's, like it was pos- surely Nottingham Forest should change their name to Enchanted Forest. Exactly. That's what I would do. They're what the fact that's what they were called, I believe, on Sensible Soccer. Really, well, there was a team called Enchanted Forest. Anyway, they had a striker called Hobgoblin. Anyone who remembers <laughs> the old Sensible Soccer games? What else could you, you do? Know. Uh, Think of a couple of others, like Brighton by the the Brighton Riviera something. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Um, I mean, to be fair, we support a team with a pretty cool name. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because everyone loves a big room full of guns. I mean, certainly half of America, anyway. <laughs> exactly. As far as I understand it, that's just what everyone has in their house in America. Yeah. I'm just, I was terrified over there constantly. Were people pulling guns on you on a regular basis, or was no? It just- everyone was very nice, but at the same time, I was like, I know all of you have loads of guns. Well, you know. Some of them. No, it's all of them, as far as I can see from films and stuff. Mm. What's the most disgusting name? Like, apart from Spurs. Apart from Spurs, yeah, that was my immediate thought. Like, Liverpool is, not, you know, it, it doesn't it, sound very nice, like a, like a, a pond it sounds full like of a, livers, full of organs. wrong with often. your liver. Yeah. Oh, I've got Liverpool. It's like it's like sort of filled with kind of sass, like pus, you know. Yeah. Uh, so Liverpool's pretty ugly. Mm, oh, do you know Newcastle? That's quite a nice name, isn't it? It's like, well... It's like Crystal Palace would play one-upmanship on on Newcastle. Yeah. Like, you may have a Newcastle, but we've got a Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, We're struggling now. Villa. That's like a little Spanish house. Yeah. What's an Aston though? What is an Aston in relation to a villa? Like you could have a. a it's like a, an Aston Martin. Like I don't a, know what that. Yeah, means. that's a car. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we're struggling here. I think we should we should stop now. West Brom, that's an ugly name. It is. I would much rather a South or an or an Easterly Brom. Like in my, my my Brom preferences are for for that. Not the West ones just don't work out. And the less said about a North Brom, the better. Well, let's not then. Let's not go there. No, we won't. We won't. Kanye West's son is called North Brom. Did you know that? <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. No, it's true. I have got his birth certificate here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, all right, I'm going to leave it there. We'll chat to you on the next Arscast Extra. Take it easy. Burnley. Burnley's a weird name. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Third degree Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. We're done. Bye, bye, bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.